as I've noticed in my own experience from my own retreat practice and also from talking to people on retreat, what seems to happen is that the first few days of a retreat, or if the retreat is longer, maybe the first week or so of the retreat, we seem to be experiencing sort of the rumblings of the impressions from the recent past. So if I had some difficulty in a relationship or I'm having a hard time in my work or I've just lost a loved one or whatever the situation may have been in the last six months or a year or whatever, it seems that that's very much on consciousness, making impact on consciousness. And it seems that we need to, in a way, finish that business. It seems like it's unfinished business that needs some attention, and through the meditation, that seems to be what's present. It's what's up. And that seems quite natural. It it seems quite necessary, actually, that we would be attending to the most impactful issues and events in our consciousness. And then as time goes on, it seems that the mind starts to quiet down and some of those stirrings start to quiet down. And then we start to touch into some of our deeper longings Uh, maybe longings for the pain to be released or to understand freedom or to know my true nature, we may start to feel some of the stirrings of those deeper important longings and questions that we have inside of us. It's almost like our world starts to shrink and that which was very important when, before we came and when we came starts to move a bit out of consciousness and we're a bit more present with what's really here for us in the moment. The worldly issues that we brought can tend to lose their importance. And I think it's useful and it's been very useful in my own practice to make a distinction between worldly issues and what I call dharma issues. The worldly issues are those either resolved or unresolved issues that go around in our mind about relationships, whether they're working or they're not working, um, our jobs and how we're doing at our jobs, our our financial situations, our living situations, um, our unresolved issues with our family members or our mothers, those kinds of issues that are going around and around in our minds quite a lot. I call those the worldly issues. And then there's the Dharma issues, which really have to do more with the nature of things. Dharma means the laws that govern nature and our lives, those laws, those essential elements that rule 
this existence, this creation, the way of things, the nature of things. And there's a time for all of us, and all of us have experienced that, when the mind shifts to more of those kinds of questions. And I call those Dharma issues. And I think it's important to know the difference so that when we come on a retreat, we don't actually get stuck in the worldly issues. And to know that there is something waiting for us, something very potent that we can understand through the meditation and through the teachings, that if we go beyond, if we can let go of our worldly concerns and shift more into what's being uh, what's being revealed right in front of us, so, so the dharmically, that maybe the answers to those questions may ultimately fulfill the questions we have about the world. It's almost as if we can get stuck looking for resolution to those issues in the world, our jobs, relationships, careers, all those sorts of things, as if the answer to those questions and those concerns are going to answer that longing we have to be free of the frustration and the pain and the dissatisfaction that we feel in ourselves, as if I can resolve, I could find the right relationship or I could get the right job or find the right house or um, whatever our particular issue is, that that's going to bring us to a place of fulfillment. That's going to end our sense of, of longing and, and that, that feeling of unsatisfactoriness. And the mind can easily get caught looking for this fulfillment and satisfaction in those particular issues where there may not be any, ultimately. Even if I got that perfect partner or the right place to live or the that friend to treat me in the way that I wanted to, that it may not be what that deepest stirring is longing for that may still be there. And the Dharma issues, the Dharma way, is what I call the final resolution. It has the possibility to end that search and that questioning and that that longing for fulfillment because through the investigation into the Dharma that can come to an end. There's a story about this crazy Sufi called Nasruddin must have lived lived a, a while ago. He was out, it was late at night, and he was out under a lamppost looking around for something. And a friend came by and said, Nasruddin, what are you doing out here? And he says, well, I'm looking for my keys. And he says, oh, well, where did you lose them? He said, in the house. Well, Nasruddin, why are you looking out here? Because there's more light out here. In the very same way, we look in the wrong place. 
we're looking where we think we're going to find that satisfaction, that fulfillment, but in fact, it's probably not there. It's not in those things of the world, in the things that we're looking after and searching for in the world, but it's somewhere else. And the Dharma teachings point us there, point us to something else. But in a way, we have to be willing to let go just for a a little bit, (laughs) maybe not forever. You know, just put the usual daily concerns aside to open to the possibility that there may be something else here for us to see, for us to resolve. Because the important question in Buddhist teachings isn't about what, how many issues we have in our lives. You know, if we have, if we have unsatisfactory relationships or we can't find the job we want or whatever it is, that's not really what the teachings are concerned with. The real question is for us, with all of these things going on, how much are we suffering? How much are we feeling the impact of not having the issues in our lives resolved. It shifts the question from having to line up all of our experiences in a way that we really find satisfactory and we like. I remember when I used to do that. Well, if I could just get this uh, job that I really wanted or if I could just get the money to move to the city that I wanted, then everything would be all right. You know that one. If I could just get this If I just could get enough sleep tonight, then everything will be fine. If I could just get rid of this particular stomach disorder, then I'm going to be happy. It's always that, if only. (laughs) If only this, then I could get that. But really, the question is more about, with all of this going on, how much does that impact on us? Because the teachings are about bringing an end to suffering. The Buddha said, I teach one thing and one thing only, that's suffering and its end. Suffering and the end of suffering. Because when that pain uh, in life drops away, it doesn't matter what's really going on because we feel, we know that place of freedom in ourselves. And so we don't need to go anywhere else. We don't need to look anywhere else for fulfillment because we find it right where we are. We have, some of us have this teacher, um, Lama Kempo, who um, um, is a Tibetan. And he was coming to India at the time when uh, Tibet was in its crisis. And I was hearing my teacher Sharon Salzberg tell the story that she heard from Kempo of when he was coming over the mountains from Tibet to India. And it seems that in that journey he lost most of his family. And he was a rather exalted Lama in Tibet. And when he came to India, not only had he lost most of his family, they were, they were killed or they died in the journey, but he also came to India as a beggar. 
He had no money. He lost all of his wealth. He had nothing. And so he arrived in India and had to make a whole complete start for himself. And I've sat with Kempo, and all that I experience with him is radiance and real deep joy and happiness and incredible stillness in the mind. And when I think about that contrast, I think about a person who has experienced Experience the depth of that trauma of having to leave his country, leave everything behind, lose his family, all that he loved, and start all over again. And this is only, um, I mean, he's about 70 years old now. I think he was probably a young man when this all happened. But to achieve such complete equanimity and contentment in himself, even though all that went on, I think it points to something. I think it points to the fact that we might be looking in the wrong place. I wonder how much our fulfillment has to do with the events that have happened. So just because we have all these unresolved issues at the time, do we need to suffer? Do we need to feel that frustration and the anger and the unsatisfactoriness? What is really the solution to this? What is the resolution or the ultimate resolution? Because what we really want to resolve, really, what we really want to resolve is that anxiety and that inner frustration and that unsatisfactory feeling that we feel inside. That's what we want to resolve. And so we go looking to all these situations in life, thinking that that's going to do it for us. But it doesn't. And often when we come to a retreat, or even outside of a retreat, we usually find ourselves going into our analytical minds and looking for resolution. And thinking, thinking, thinking. Going here and going there, and and hoping that if I can just figure this out, if I can just think about it the right way, maybe I'll understand the situation. And that somehow the answer lies in being able to resolve our issues through thinking about it. I mean, this is the cultural message, that if we're able to have clear thinking minds, then we'll feel that ultimate (laughs) happiness in ourselves, because we'll be able to figure everything out. But what do we really find when we go into our thinking mind, for the most part? It seems that they're often just recycled old thoughts. We're kind of going over the same things again and again and again. And sometimes we actually find ourselves getting into these mind loops, I call them mind loops, because we just go round and round and round and round thinking about situations that happened, conversations that we've had with different people. Now, if only I did it differently, if only I said this, if I could have done that, we just kind of go round and round. But these recycled thoughts are often tainted with guilt and worry and fear and anger and self-pity, maybe a bit of humor in there. But it's not so clear, really. 
we see that we wonder, is that really the place of resolution? Going to the past, because our thoughts are just the past. The thoughts are what's familiar, what's known. And when we go to the past, we're just recycling what is already known. So how can we really discover something wholly new there, really fresh there? So we dip into these old memories, these situations, these events, as if we'll find the answers to our pain. But we know that there's endless events, endless. We have, you know, this lifetime, maybe other lifetimes of events that we can think about. But where is the freedom? Where is the freedom in that? Today there was a woman who I was speaking with who was talking about her therapy that she was having and she said she's been going over these issues in her therapy again and again and again. And it's been really helpful and, and insightful, but now she just has the sense that she's just talking. It's just more talking, more conceptualizing, and that maybe something else needs to happen, something else needs to shift. And I have a sense that that means that it's time to move to a more subtle level, maybe even more into the dharmic level, because there's something else there that's calling for resolution, something else that's calling for an answer that may not be able to be answered just through the recycling of those particular events that happened in the past. So by actually letting go of that conceptual framework of the past and just dipping into something new or something unknown, something unfamiliar, what might be discovered? What might be discovered there? There's a great saint who died in this century, a woman saint from India named Anandamaya Ma. And Anandamaya Ma talks about two currents that we can follow. One current is the world, the worldly current. And she says that's the current where want follows upon more want. And the second current is the current of true being, of one's true being. And she says that the first current, the worldly current, can never end in fulfillment because that sense of want is perpetually stimulated. She says everywhere, everywhere we look, there's something that the mind gets attracted to, that the, the mind wants, thinking that it's going to bring about that fulfillment. And we know, we see it in the, the manufacturers uh, in that, that make things that want us to buy their products they, they, they feed upon this instinct of us wanting things and they use everything they can to get us to be greedy for their products. And lately they're really using a lot of esoteric language about nirvana and uh, silence and stillness. That There's this one ad about Mercedes-Benz that if you step into the Mercedes-Benz you'll feel nirvana. You know, you'll, you'll, you'll experience you'll experience that inner stillness and that quiet because the, the, the machine doesn't make any noise when you drive the car and that this is the stillness you've always been waiting for 
you know, it's this, you know, they'll, they'll feed on anything to make us buy their products. And so we were caught, we get caught so easily in the seduction of, of wanting and feeding this place of lack, this place of emptiness in ourselves. It's that the I, the, set, the self, constantly looking for gratification in every corner for happiness. But she says, this is another quote from Ananda Maya Ma, she says, earthly happiness has its opposite, sorrow. But when happiness is in its essential form, the unconditioned, then the opposites of joy and misery find no place. Joy and misery drop away. Unconditioned means touch, touching something that is not dependent on arising condition, something that's beyond the conditioned arising. But the second current, the current of one's true being, she said, this is what establishes one in their divine nature. It establishes one in completion. If one endeavors to fulfill oneself by entering the current of true being, this current will lead one to the perfect poise of one's own true being. And it's really only knowing this that one will find the ultimate satisfaction. So what we're talking about is the shift, shifting our attention from seeking those worldly insights, which people do come on retreat for, you know, how can I resolve this, or how can I figure this out, or is hoping that Sharda could, you know, wave a magic wand, and, you know, it's like so that my life will come together in that way. But shifting the attention from seeking these worldly insights to seeking Dharma insights, Shifting the currents. And what are Dharma insights? What are the Dharma insights that are really crucial to make the shift for us? They're insights that will cut through the old ways of thinking and perceiving and release us from the burden of our past and our future. They're insights that deliver us home home, here, here and now, so that we're not caught up in this cycle and movement of going to the past and going to the future and then to the present, this whole movement in time, but perhaps touching into that which is timeless, where we can rest, where we can be still. One of the Buddha's profound insights was the realization that all existence is conditioned by three characteristics. And it's these three characteristics which through our meditation practice we can begin to see. And it's nothing that is that esoteric. The three characteristics of all existence are impermanence, that everything is impermanent, The second one is unsatisfactoriness, that everything is ultimately unsatisfactory. 
And the third one is the insight into uh, selflessness or the insubstantiality of things. And I want to talk just a little bit about each of these three so that while you're here, there's the possibility for your mind to start to shift. Your mind start to focus into the insights that are going to make a difference, the insights that are going to cut through into true freedom and essential happiness. So just to point these out so that we can recognize them as we see them in our meditation. The first one is impermanence or anicca in Pali. The word is anicca. Impermanence. Everything is changing. Yeah, everything's changing. You know, if you walk down the street and you ask somebody, is everything changing? Do you experience change? They'll say, yeah, I experience change. What's the big deal? It seems really obvious. So why is this such a profound insight? That the insight into impermanence and change. Because even though we have this sense of things changing, we don't actually live with the wisdom. That wisdom hasn't gone deeply enough into us that it really cuts through our pain and our suffering. Because unless this is really understood, it's difficult to let go of things that are changing. We hold on. We hold on. Hold on to the things that we like, the things that we love. We don't want things to change. And yet forms or conditions are ever-changing. Things come together and they dissolve. Our mind, our body, all of nature. And new sets of conditions arise and then they dissolve constantly. Sometimes this is a gradual change. It might be a person's life. We see it's very, very gradual over time. Or an old tree, these old trees out there, they seem like they're never going to change but I don't think that's true. Sometimes things change very quickly, like raindrops or the sounds of the birds that we hear in the morning. It's just that momentary arising of a sound and then it dissolves. We can be aware of that. These are all momentary conditions, very unique in themselves, every moment unique in itself. I remember when I was on a three-month retreat and my mind was getting very concentrated and it was winter on the East Coast outside of Boston in Massachusetts. And I looked out the window where I was living, the door of the window, the window in the door, and it was snowing and there was a light outside right above the door. And I could see the snowflakes coming down just one by one because my mind was very focused. And I looked at the window and I could actually see that every snowflake, every snowflake had a different configuration. It was absolutely amazing to me to see that I've heard that, that snowflakes have different configurations, but I never saw it, that every one had a different pattern. And they were coming down very, very fast and kind of sparkling with all these different characteristics and patterns. And I thought, 
I could miss one moment and it would be completely different the next moment. Every little configuration. And so by being able to bring a certain level of, of real penetrating clarity in my attention, I was able to catch all these very amazing patterns that I would have never been able to see otherwise. Every moment unique. We can see this. I mean, how many times has your mind changed today? How many times, how many different mind states have you been through today? How many changes has the body been through today? Feeling calm and then feeling agitated, maybe sometimes feeling sick and then feeling very energetic. And the weather, we've talked about, some people mentioned the weather, that amazing windstorm we had last night. And then all of a sudden, just the wind died down. Those changes in nature, which is so profound. We can feel this experience, particularly when we put our attention on it. And our lunch, where did our lunch go? You know, it was a wonderful lunch, that fabulous lunch, but where is it? <laughs> we can't hold on to it. But without reflecting deeply on the nature of these conditions, we try to hold on because we think that if things will stay around, they'll bring us this lasting, lasting fulfillment. We want this continuity. It's like the being craves for some kind of continuity for things that we like, people, things, experiences. But life impinges. We lose what we love. We don't get what we want. We feel frustrated and angry and hurt and betrayed. It's like life is betraying us. But it's not life betraying us. It's just the nature of things. Because all things change. All things move on. We can't keep things solid and still. And this brings us to the second characteristic. The characteristic of unreliability or the unsatisfactory nature of things because since we can't hold on to anything we can't actually control life in the way we want it to it's unreliable it 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 doesn't give us what we want we can't rely on things events situations to give us that deep fulfillment that we're searching for it's unsatisfactory even when we get what we want, <laughs> you know, when we, you, you've seen in yourselves when you get what you want, then something will change, the relationship goes sour, or um, the car gets dented, or um, we have this wonderful job, but then we can't get along with our co-workers. You know, if it's not one thing, it's another. You know, it's, it doesn't stay the way we want it to stay. And this is, the second characteristic, which in Pali is dukkha. Perhaps you've heard this word dukkha. I think this is a great word, dukkha. <laughs> because when we penetrate into the nature of things, we really start to feel dukkha. The dukkha of life, because we continually are left empty-handed. We can't get what we want. 
That's the definition of dukkha. It means not getting what I want, losing what I have, and being separated from what I love. That's dukkha, the pain of life. And that's the second characteristic. Because we can't trust in any reliability in any of the conditions of life. No conditioned experience is going to bring us that security that we're looking for. We'll always be left empty-handed. I had the experience when I went to see that great movie Titanic. It cost $200 million to produce that film. Really a splash of a film. I'm not sure if you saw it or not. But it was, for me, very thrilling, very exciting, and there was a tremendous amount of pleasure and sensation and energy that came out of seeing that movie. And then a half an hour later, where was it? <laughs> where was all that? Where was that, that rush of sensation and feeling and excitement? Gone. And it was like $200 million, you know, to produce this effect, which it was great. It had a really powerful effect but where is it? (laughs) Can't hold on to it. We might even see that when we erect our our fantasies in our own mind. You know, they they, they can give us a certain amount of fulfillment when we're having the fantasies. And people say, oh, but the fantasies, you know, they feel so good and they give me such a good feeling. But does it last? When we deeply understand the characteristic of dukkha, we stop looking for fulfillment in things, in experience, because the wisdom tells us that it's not going to last. It's not going to give us that security. And so it's easy to let go. When we find ourselves grasping, we find ourselves clinging on to something, holding on, the wisdom says, don't bother. That's not where it's going to be at in the long run. And so there's the possibility of coming back, just resting back in that stillness again. So impermanence, everything's changing. Second characteristic, unreliable, nothing to hold on to, always changing, nothing to grab onto. But the third characteristic is the most difficult of all. But when we understand it, it can be the most penetrating insight into freedom, into liberation. That's the characteristic of selflessness or insubstantiality. In Pali, the word is anatta. Anatta, the insight into anatta. What does this mean? What does selflessness mean in these teachings? It points to the fact that who I am, how I perceive myself, is not so solid. That I'm not even so solid and substantial. I'm not so separate as I appear to be. I'm not so isolated an isolated individual cut off from all of existence. But if I look closely at my own experience, what I can see and what you can see is that in fact you too are a momentary changing process. 
that in fact there is nothing solid here where we sit. If we look carefully, what we see is just momentary changes of thought, feeling, sensation, sight, sound, touch, taste, feel, smell. Just changing moment to moment, moment to moment. And we look carefully at our own experience and when we're, we look in our meditation, we just see like, like pinpoints of, of sensation and a thought arises, and a sound arises, and, and maybe um, a, a, a feeling, or emotion, or a tightness, a contraction. Just moment to moment to moment, all these changes happening. And these changes are happening so quickly that they give the illusion of solidity. They give the illusion of something solid, just like the frames of a movie, of a film. When we look to see what a movie really is, we take out that film strip that you put into the projector and it's just a series of frames. And when you put it into the projector and turn it, it gives the projection of something that appears solid on the screen. But it's not. It's just momentary frames spinning very quickly, very fast, just like in our own experience. In fact, there are only six experiences. It makes life very simple. (laughs) There's only six experiences. There's seeing, smelling, tasting, hearing, touching, and our thoughts about it. Thinking. That's all that's happening. (laughs) Moment after moment after moment. But our thoughts make things seem like they have continuity. The way that we unravel our stories about what's happening. But it's just a thought. And it gives the appearance of something much more real, much more solid. And if we don't look deeply, we get caught in the appearance of things. We get caught in in our perception of things and not see things as they really are, not see things clearly. Thoughts come and go and feelings come and go. We see that. There is not somebody, there's not a core that all this is referring back to. We think that all of this experience refers back to this me or I or the solid sense of myself. We superimpose an idea of self on top of a reality that is essentially selfless. It's another concept. And we think experience is referring back to a fixed, unchanging self. But nothing in this world is fixed. This world is a living, breathing, pulsating, world, including our own being, because we are that. We are that nature. We are not separate from this world. And so we are also this changing, alive, pulsating energy that is not stuck. (laughs) It's not stuck in any solidity. This is not something theoretical. It's something that you can know. So selflessness 
and it takes some looking, some investigation to really understand this characteristic deeply. So when we look at our experience, we really can see there's nothing worth holding on to. There's nothing worth holding on to, and the mind becomes suffused with equanimity. When we know so deeply that there's nothing worth holding on to, we don't hold on. We can just let go. And that brings tremendous equanimity because we're not reacting. We're not caught in our reactions. We're not holding on to things that we like. We're not pushing away things that we don't like. We're not caught in this push and pull of life. There's still the pleasant, the unpleasant, and the in-between experiences. There's still the play of all those conditions. But the mind becomes balanced in response to those conditions. We're not clinging after the pleasant. We're not rejecting the unpleasant. We're not falling asleep when conditions are indifferent or uninteresting. The mind is balanced. The Buddha says, what is beautiful in the world remains so, but the wise one no longer strives after it. What is beautiful in the world remains so, but we no longer strive after it. And I think this is a really important point because I always had the sense that when the mind became that balanced and equanimity, that there's just kind of a disinterest in the world. <laughs> you know, it like, doesn't matter about anything anymore, you know, pleasant, unpleasant. You may not even experience the pleasant or the beauty. But that which is beautiful is still beautiful, and one can enjoy and feel the pleasure of that beauty. But when that passes, one lets go was not running behind it, trying to keep that sensation or that experience or that mind state or that person or that situation, but one can let go. There was a, an example, a story that exemplifies this is about a monk on the hill. There was a young girl in a town, a town that got pregnant, and the father couldn't face the outrage of the, of the town that this, his daughter got pregnant. And so he knew there was a monk on the hill in the monastery, so he thought, well, I'm just going to go take this baby up to the monk and say that it was really the monk that got my daughter pregnant, and he has to take care of it. So he takes the baby up to the monk and knocks on the door and says, you got my daughter pregnant, you take care of this baby. And the monk just says, Ah, so. And takes the baby and closes the door. But some years go by, and the father couldn't live with his lie and needed to face what he had done. So he went back up to the monk to get the baby back, knocks on the door and said, Oh, you know, I did a terrible thing. I lied to you. I said that you got my daughter pregnant, but you didn't, and I'd really like to have the child back. And the monk says, Aso. Gives the child back. That's 
what's possible when we're not so impacted by the changing conditions in our life. We may still not get what we want. We may still lose what we love, be separated from those that we love. But there's an inner knowing that that is the nature of things. That's the way. And in knowing that, the mind comes to stillness. The mind rests. And there it finds its ultimate refuge, its ultimate fulfillment and happiness. And there comes the end of the search, the end of the seeking. I'd like to end with this haiku from a 13th century Japanese Zen master. Coming, going, the water birds, don't leave a trace, don't follow a path. Let's sit together for a few moments. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.